everybody. Thank you for tuning in to today's edition of Unaffiliated Politics with your hosts, Jared and Mike. Uh, today's a special episode. It'll be our very first dive into a current events format. Now, I just want to let you know that these episodes fill up super, super quick. Uh, so there's a lot that we haven't had time to hit or put together. But don't worry, we'll be making a return to this format very soon. And unless you guys really hate it, we'll definitely be back. So let us know what you'd like us to dive into. You know, next time we'll go in depth and into different stuff. Let's go ahead and dive right into it. We wanted to start with the economic gains that America is going through right now. Uh, Mike, I believe you're telling me about how you think it's all due to Trump's leadership and policy changes, right? Yes, that's absolutely what we've discussed <laughs> over the last several days, I'm sure. No, I think there's a real false equivalency here. We do this with presidents where we try to or not just presidents, political parties in general, where we elevate one or the other for things that they really don't have any control over. I mean, can you tell me what specific policy that Donald Trump has implemented that has led to a substantial economic gain? I mean, you know, Republicans will tell you that the economy recovered and rebounded under Obama, or didn't, rather, that that it didn't. So a lot of the problem with that is they'll, they'll sit there and say, well, a lot of the recovery was due to the, the Bush era tax cuts and the, the different things that he did. And it, it takes eight years for those things to take effect or 10 years. And, and that's why you saw that improvement under the Obama era. I think it's much simpler than that. I think the economy had absolutely bottomed out so that it had no choice but to go upwards. Essentially, using that same thread, that same conservative logic, wouldn't you have to say that the Six months that Trump's been in office, I mean, those, those are more a result of Obama's policy and liberal policy than anything that Donald Trump has feasibly done in six months, right? No, I don't have to say that. <laughs> but, I mean, you hit something really important there. I think a lot of people like to think that the other party's responsible for all the economic woes and their party's responsible for all the economic boons. You know, we like to think that it's policy, that policy has this huge impact on everything that goes on, right? It's nice to think that because it's kind of scary to think that the economy is, is closer to like a car without a driver just going where it's going. But really, I think that's closer to the reality of it. I mean, policy has some impact, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, if you come out and you say that cigarettes are going to cost a million dollars for now on, uh, obviously that's going to impact the cigarette industry, which is going to impact the economy as a whole. Uh, policy can certainly impact the economy, but I think it's more strongly introduced by intangible things like consumer confidence is one. And then another would be like, you know, the deals that are going on in the back door. Maybe maybe the Tesla thing that's going on right now is, is creating a good feeling. You know, it's hard to pin down why the economy might be doing well. But no, I would agree with you. I don't think that Trump's policy is having too, too much to do with it. So let's let's walk that back on consumer confidence, right? So you would say that consumer confidence is high and that's led to the gains in the first and second quarter of this year, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that. You say what you want about Trump, but... With the consumer confidence and the investor confidence, those are two big parts to economies growing. You know, you want your investors to feel like they can invest in a company and there's growth potential and that creates jobs and everything. And I think if you're an investor right now, you're looking at Donald Trump and you're thinking to yourself, you know, he's not going to come out with any anything that specifically targets me. There's not going to be any legislation that the White House is going to champion that's going to make an investment that I make go bad. And I think that kind of thing does lead to an increase in, in investor confidence. You know, is that necessarily a great way to take the nation's temperature economically? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll let you handle that. Do you think it is? 
Yeah, I mean, to an, to an extent, I'm just trying to walk back the talk track, right? So essentially, we think that consumer confidence is higher under Trump. There was there was pretty decent growth under Obama. Uh, stagnated, I would say, the last four years, but certainly within the first four years, there was definitely some growth there. Would you say that consumer confidence had, had anything to do with that? I mean, to an extent, yeah. But then, you know, the recession was over and, and, and things were coming back. Uh, you know, to a degree, I also think we don't need a president for economic growth. You know, I think that after the 2008 collapse or 2007 collapse, uh, you know, 2007, 2008 collapse, you know, it had nowhere to go but up, you know, it had to bounce back. And it certainly did under Obama. I'm not denying that. And I'm sure that Obama's personality influenced that, you know, made people feel a little bit more uh, confident. Uh, But I think it's certainly happening under Trump, too. So I have a theory of what happens, Jared. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) When a president is first elected, there's all this strange hope that everything is going to somehow turn out better than whatever the the regime is. You get four years in, you get reelected, and then all of a sudden you start getting blamed for everything and everything is your fault and you start beating that drum. I think it's just this vicious cycle that we catch ourselves in over and over and over again. And I, I do agree with you. I think it has less to do with policy. I think it's it's more to do with, you know, a new president comes in, um, different businesses, different investors think that this might help them or they can leverage some sort of deal with Congress and and different things to keep their industry booming. So you have that confidence there. And then you see after four years that maybe you don't get the gains that you should. And you you just have this weird back and forth with uh, the American people and consumer confidence. Our political system is just a whole mechanism where, you know, the eight years is always undone by the next eight years of whoever the next guy is. I mean, most presidents are now getting in for those two straight terms. It's just a goofy thing. We just go back and we walk back all of this progress. And it's just a really interesting trend to me. Yeah, interesting or terrible, you know, just I guess it depends on your <laughs> your perspective. I mean, really, not so much even with the president. I think that uh, you really you, you really make a strong point there with Congress and the Senate. You know, they're bouncing back and forth every two to four years. I mean, God, it's it's like why right now would Democrats work with Republicans to make a good health care bill when they know in, in 2018 – you know, they're probably going to win control and then be in a way stronger position for negotiation. And then, you know, once 2018 hit, you know, of course they obstruct. Why wouldn't they obstruct? Because all they have to do is wait for the next turnover election. And then, you know, boom, we're back in control. And we, we you know? saw that tactic play out once already. That's exactly what Republicans did is <laughs> try to obstruct during the, that era. It's just the style, that two-party system that you and I debate all the time. You see this. It just paves the way for obstruction. Having a strong third voice in there would break up a lot of that. It's it's just very frustrating to watch how our, our political system functions. Yeah, yeah. And I did see a movement. I think it was called Hack the System. I don't, I'm not affiliated with them at all. But if you're interested in this, maybe you want to check them out. Basically, the idea, though, is to, is to focus on you know, really good opportunity states and try and get, you know, just a few third party candidates into the Congress and into the Senate uh, so that they could be the tiebreaker votes, you know, and common sense could come through and, and be the tiebreaker. Almost like the Supreme Court where we were talking about where the, the middle guy, you know. I mean, it, you don't even need to go that crazy into it. Like, let's say in the Senate right now, Pence is the tiebreaking vote every which way, which not isn't exactly common sense. If you just had five yeah, just a, a magic number of five independent senators. It's just such a small percentage that you would need 10% of elected officials in general to be that third party. You'd really have a strong way to, to kind of change how policy is made in this country. It, it's something to think, but outside of really New Hampshire, Vermont, you don't see a lot of states voting third party. 
Yeah, absolutely. And but I think it's possible. I mean, I think it's it's certainly possible. Um, I know in uh, 2014 there was a super interesting election between uh, Pat Roberts and Greg Orman in Kansas, which is a deep red state. And Greg Orman actually did really well. I listened to a lot of his debates, and you know, it really did seem like he had a chance of winning that election as an independent, just on common sense arguments. And and so even a state as red as Kansas, you know, or or as blue as maybe New York, you know, maybe, it, I mean, if the politicians from that state are doing a bad job and people want something different but hate the other party, I mean, I see an opening for a third party to get in there, you know, somebody independent or green or libertarian, you know, just to get in there and maybe, maybe make some changes, you know, it's not impossible. And that would be easier at the state level, certainly, than on the national level. I mean, we talk about trying to get an independent candidate 15% of the vote in the election, which is essentially what you and I tried to do to, to get Kerry Johnson in there, just so we'd have another voice for future elections. It's so much easier to do at the state level, so much easier to advertise for it. I mean, it's just, it, it's got to be a grassroots movement. But uh, tying it back to, to economic gains, like I said, I, I, I would agree with you that it has far less to do with policy <laughs> than just the way that things kind of go. Though I would agree that I guess under Trump, there is some confidence in big business because uh, I'm pretty sure they're confident that their tax rates uh, likely won't go up under him. He'd be hurting his own holdings to do that. So, I, I mean, I'm sure there's some confidence from larger corporations and people investing in these corporations. Uh, it, it, it certainly helps. Yeah, the corporate tax, I, I'd be really surprised if it went up. I mean, not just because he'd be hurting his own holdings. I mean, there's a lot of argument that the corporate rat tax rate is too high in America. I know that you like What's that Scandinavian country there? Denmark. Their corporate tax is way lower than ours. So I think theirs is in the in the low twenties and ours is in the mid thirties. You know, there's there's a lot of argument that we need to bring that particular tax rate down. Well, we have more um, tax evasion. It's part of the problem. We have more money stashed overseas to evade taxes than than most nations do. So if you close the tax loopholes, I'd be all for kind of switching that up and uh, lowering the corporate tax rate. The problem is, is they have to make up the difference somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, I do hope that they hit tax reform and they hit it well, because it's time. You know, I think the whole tax system definitely needs an update. You know, it's just hard. <laughs> but let's go ahead and jump to the next topic. Unless you had anything else more for our economic gains? No, I'm good there. Perfect, perfect. Uh, so this is the only topic on the docket for today that I think might need a little bit of introduction. And it's an ongoing crisis in Venezuela. So Venezuela was the fourth largest economy, one of the models for kind of the liberal ideology of what a state should look like. They were a massive oil power uh, ruled by a fairly elected uh, socialist power. The current president is Nicolas Maduro, and he was the right hand of Chi Guevara himself. Uh, that was over in Cuba. Uh, then uh, the oil bubble popped and everything came tumbling down. It was when America started doing a lot of fracking. And, the, you know, you saw the, the barrel of oil was worth less and less and less. And it was a great time for us, but less so if you're a country that produces oil. And I think, you know, because Venezuela was so hostile towards business, its economy was never really able to diversify. Uh, so when the price of oil bottomed out, uh, the volume of their currency plummeted and the people weren't able to afford food anymore. Uh, so the people started going hungry. They wanted international aid and they wanted an election, but Maduro wasn't going to have any of that. So the people started to riot. The Venezuelan government started coming down on them harder and harder. Finally, it looked like they were caving and they were going to do an election um, to rewrite the constitution. But then it turned out that it was all filled with yes men. People on that ticket included, you know, his wife and his son. Uh, so things were, were pretty... Pretty, looking pretty bleak, the the opposition boycotted the election because there was nobody to vote for. It was all, you know, people from within Maduro's inner circle. 
Uh, so he won the election, and he was uh, officially deemed a dictator by the U.S. Sanctions were put on him specifically, but not the nation. So pretty much just a show. It doesn't really do anything. And the most recent development that I saw was the attorney general for the country was forced into hiding by the police. I mean, it's it's pretty out of control. You know, I think it's scary whenever you see uh, economic power as high as, like, number four in the world fall to a point where it can't even feed its citizens. I mean, how does this one hit you, brother? Uh, just, you have to be very careful with, with how you phrase it, I guess. I, I don't think it's necessarily a shining example of policy that's too far left. I mean, first of all, if that was Americanized, you know, a far left power would never be that tied into the oil industry. But putting all your eggs in one basket, even if you put it all into a renewable source or something like that, it's it's very dangerous. I, I just think it's more of a lesson in extremism, that, that overshift and not having another voice, not having a second or a third voice in there. When you overshift that extreme, whether it's to the far left end of the spectrum or to the far right, I mean, it's definitely dangerous policy. And, and again, it's the same thing of, of putting all of your eggs into one basket, uh, your your economic basket, uh, especially. They tied everything to oil. They, they did nothing else to, to to kind of diversify what they had to protect their people. Uh, the price of oil wasn't going to stay as high as it was forever, and it's not going to stay as low as it is for now. It's always been a roller coaster with oil over the years, so uh, just a real lack of foresight by the leadership in that country. So I, I would agree with you in there. It's an absolutely terrible situation that happened, but I don't think that's directly reflective of a liberal policy so much as any one group having as much power as as they had in Venezuela. And that's fair. And I'm definitely not saying that Democrats in America are going to do to America what Maduro's party did to Venezuela. And, you know, that's that's ridiculous and, and hyperbabble. And that's that's not what we're about here. But I do think you said something interesting in there. And that was that if it was a government as far right as this one was left, it would have been just as bad. And I, and I agree with you, maybe it would have been. But I can't help but wonder if the press would have been a little bit more negative and people would have been looking at it a little bit more under a microscope, which I believe it deserves. I mean, any time that a country like this tumbles the way that it did, I mean, that's the worst case scenario, bro. It's crazy that this doesn't get more attention, in my opinion, from the media specifically. And I wonder if that's because it's left versus right. Well, I think it has more to do with not being America. Um, Unfortunately, I think we have very narrow blinders outside of foreign conflict or, or something like that, where something as dangerous as North Korea I don't think as Americans, we, we pay enough attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. I think we're very tied into what's going on here all of the time. So I don't necessarily agree that it's some big liberal media bias cover up. I don't believe it's, it's that simple to chalk it up to that. I just think it has more to do with um, what what South American country gets a lot of press time. Uh, you haven't seen it since the war on drugs with Colombia. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff going on in Colombia, but very little. Not a lot of coverage coming out of there in general. You're right. Maybe it doesn't sell newspapers. I don't know. But I just I feel like anything, um, I, we'll have to I agree I don't think to that anything sells newspapers anymore, unfortunately, Jared. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good a point. Dying industry. <laughs> the Inquirer, Inquirer or whatever it is uh, at the grocery store seems to still be doing well. Uh, every time I, I go through there, I still see the headlines. It's the most recent one. It's like um, alien abducted... Uh, Obama's and implanted something. I don't know. But uh, pretty awesome. Like those yeah, that ones. stuff will always sell well. <laughs> the same reason, uh, you know, the WWE will never go out of fashion. People love fantasy world. And some of them even like to believe it's true. There's a there's a significant percentage that actually pick that up and think, wow, this is this is this is crazy. I'm going to have to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Those are my favorite. You know, you and me might pick it up on the off chance to laugh. I I would say about 30% of their base actually believes what's being written. So that's even crazier. Yeah, I um I don't think I've ever bought one, but uh, I like to look into the conspiracy theories, like stuff that I don't want you to know as a podcast. I do it, and it always blows my mind when I'm listening to it because I'm like, man, people really, honest to God, believe this. Yeah, <laughs> and I just always have to remind myself. Get you know? out your tinfoil hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but let's uh, steer it back. Uh, <laughs> so back to uh, Venezuela. It, another concern that I have with this particular collapse. And it's a more broad concern. It's about these sort of social program style of government that we're moving towards uh, this ideology where, you know, the government takes care of people. I've always worried what happens during collapses like this when people are used to their benefits. They're used to their getting helped out by their government and their government can no longer afford to help them out. The currency isn't worth anything and they can't keep it together anymore. I mean, what options do they have other than to move towards a dictatorship? I mean, um, are people going to vote against their own universal health care and social security? I don't think so. And I'm not saying that, you know, we need to ax all those programs. All I'm saying is that I, I'm concerned. It's uh, something that it doesn't keep me up at night, but it's, it's certainly something I wonder about. And it's almost a political taboo to talk. Now, Jared, about. I'm going to give you a slight deflection here. Uh, I don't know if it's a deflection, though. We had a podcast about automation and how it's absolutely coming for us. And you'll see it more and more. I mean, there's studies by 2030, um, 50% of all jobs will essentially be gone. I mean, this is a reality that we have to prepare for. And I, I do think now is the time more than anything to really look at the sustainability of things like universal health care, um, social security, uh, universal basic income. We really need to make sure that these things are recession proof or that they're fail safes built into these these mechanisms where you're not just giving this stuff out and god forbid something should happen like happened in Venezuela or like happened in 2007 2008 where people lost their pensions and 401k's were slashed and I, I mean that we we've had times like that here in America as well so i just i think that with automation there's no way we're going to be able to be a purely capitalist society in the next 25, 30 years. I mean, I, I just don't see how we can function in that manner. We've really got to prepare for for how to keep these programs and make them solvent in the years to come rather than ax them all together. Yeah, I agree. And I'm not saying to ax them. You know, my mom is going to be retiring soon. And, you know, I want her on Social Security. It just concerns me. But something else I just want to point out real quick is is I think that we're doing a fantastic job. <laughs> and believe it or not, I really I really believe that. You know, the monarchies really didn't end until the World War One. And, you know, at the end of the monarchies, governments went three different ways. They went fascism, socialism, and capitalism. And, you know, there has been a ton of changes in the last hundred years. And honestly, when I look at, you know, how far we've come and how we're doing with the governments, they're not perfect, no doubt. But, you know, they've really not been in place for super, super long. And with all the innovation that's happened, I mean, honestly, I think that we're doing a great job. It's just a really hard question. And that's all there is to it, you know. So I'm not sure, but I am hopeful if that's anything to anybody. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what we can't afford more than anything is another downturn of blue collar workers in this country. I mean, I think that those are the people we really need to be seeking to protect before we start slashing corporate tax rates and doing things like that. I really think we need to find ways. Um, I, like we've talked about it, automation is going to happen. It's not if it does, it's absolutely. And it's happening more and more. 
Um, if we don't protect our workers, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, when all the factory jobs left and going into the 90s, you look at all these old abandoned mill towns in New England. Uh, I'm not sure how it is down south with you, Jared, but you see it all over. I mean, we just got to make sure we, we find ways to build in some protections for the middle class. I'm not saying give them free stuff. What I'm saying is just to find ways to if and when their jobs are eventually gone, we need to make sure that there's a system or a safety net in place that's also not going to bankrupt the country, God forbid, another recession should happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, even the 1% is in serious trouble if there's nobody to buy their stuff. So, I mean, it is a, a question that needs to be answered. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't have the economic mind to answer it. So if that's what you're looking for, then uh, then I've not got it. And I, I'm, I'm afraid that I don't think Mike has it either. But I'll give you a shot yeah, if you think you no, do. No, I'm not. <laughs> Not quite uh, that smart. But those are the minds we should be looking to to help solve these kind of issues rather than bickering back and forth, calling everybody a socialist and, and screaming at people. I, I really think we need to look at the best and brightest of our minds and, and really find solutions to these problems because these are real life problems that are going to happen in our lifetime. Yeah, CNN. I know you're listening. Stop giving celebrities time on your show and get professional smart people. Bring back some, some mathematicians. Anybody. Anybody. <laughs> Yeah, you too, Fox. I know you're in the audience. <laughs> They're not listening. I'm just kidding. Never <laughs> All right. You want to take a quick break before we move into the Russia investigation? Mike, have you ever done anyone a favor before? Yes, a handful of times. I try not to do it too often because I feel like they'll keep expecting it. Exactly. Uh, you hit it right on the head. They will keep expecting it or they may not remember it when you need a favor. It's usually right? how it works, right? Every time. So do we have the product for you, my friend? Favor cards. With a handy favor card, all you have to do is pull out the card, put a brief summary of the favor that you did for the person, and then give it to them. Just ask them to hold on to it until you're ready to cash it in. This way, you have physical evidence that you did them a favor. What a great idea. And it's a constant reminder of what what a wonderful person you are. That's outstanding. I have a... Literally dozens of favors I should have been able to cash in over the years. Where have we been without a product like this? I mean, we could get it with a signature on it, so we make sure that it, that everybody's on the legal up and up for it. Now, Jared, what I'm more concerned with, it is technically still just a card. What kind of penalties do we have in place for not upholding a favor card? That's that's what I'm most interested in. Taser. Instant. I like that. I, I, um, yeah. I'm uh, very yeah. pro-taser. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> That's good. So if you don't return any of my favors, um, any of you listening, you will be tased. Um, and I won't feel bad about it. You can call the police. But when I present them that favor card, they'll, they'll know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm for it. Exactly. Exactly. Just imagine like a real quick role play, okay? So you're asking me for a ride as an example, okay? All right. So uh, just just come at me. You know, ring, ring. Hey, what's hey, up, man? How's it going? Uh I haven't talked to you in a long time, but uh, I was just wondering, man, if you could give me a ride, you could pick me up. I'm uh, about uh, two states over, but I, I could really use this ride, man. Oh, brother. Ooh, unfortunately, you know, my um, it's my anniversary, so I can't get out of the no, house. No, but man, I've, I've really, I've, I've called everybody. Nobody else can get me out of this jam right now. I, I really need that ride. Sorry, man. I mean, I just, I just can't do it. I mean, I know that you did me a favor before, but I just... Um... I can't get out. You know, the wife would kill me. I'm going to have to cash in this favor card, Jared. Um, I I don't have a choice. You're leaving me with with no other option here. You signed this legally binding agreement. So screw your anniversary. I need you to come pick me up. Ah, fine. I'm on my way. Boom. Expertly navigated situation works out to your end. 
Perfect. I just couldn't think of it. I couldn't imagine a better product. To be honest, you didn't remember your anniversary anyway. Good excuse, though. <laughs> that, that, is that is true. Thank God Facebook reminds okay. us, right? That's the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> anniversaries. I didn't even know when we became friends. I have friend anniversaries on Facebook. That was, that was outstanding. Yeah. I mean, Less awesome. Never miss a birthday yeah. anymore. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, um,. I uh, I have mindset not to show up though, so that way if I do forget someone's birthday, you know it's not a big deal because Facebook didn't remind them about. My you know birthday, how remarkably so. consistent I am, Jared. Uh, yeah. I wish nobody a happy birthday, not even family on Facebook, just so that they never think that I that I will do it. So I didn't forget it. I didn't miss it. I didn't anything like that. I make it a habit to maybe once or twice a year I'll throw one out there. But I just find it being remarkably consistent in that no one ever expects it from me. No one ever gets mad. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on the same way. Sometimes, like, if it's something really important, I'll, like, like somebody else's birthday wish towards them. Um, but I'm just not comfortable going any farther than that, you know. Like, if it's my mom, I'll call her, you know, so. But, uh, you know, if it's anybody else, I'm not, they're not getting a happy birthday from yeah, me. Yeah, I call my Facebook. mom, my dad, and my siblings. <laughs> that's, 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 that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I think that's reasonable. Can't ask for more than that. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and roll back into the, uh. Russia investigation. All right, Jared. So I just wanted to take some time and cover the uh, Russia investigation. I know it's somewhat older news here. Um, I just figure if we're doing current events, it's definitely something to bring up. I have my own feelings on it. I just kind of wanted to get yours. How involved do you believe that Russia actually was in the election? And what are their ties specifically to Donald Trump in general? You know, I honestly um, really, really doubt that Russia was behind the DNC hack. I mean, I think probably, you know, the old saying is if you hear a horse clatter in Times Square at midnight, it's probably a horse and not a zebra. You know, could it have been Russia? Maybe. Uh, But what I think is more likely is that you have somebody working on the inside of the DNC who's a big Bernie Sanders supporter. No, I'm not saying it was the guy who got murdered. That was terrible. Unrelated. But, you know, so somebody's working on the inside and uh, they see Bernie's getting kind of the uh, unfair treatment. They're putting the screws to him. Uh, they're trying to cast him in, in poor lights. Weren't they trying to convince people that he was an atheist and not a Jew? Uh, just as an example, um, you know, being really unfair. Uh, and then, you know, that person went ahead and leaked emails to WikiLeaks because they were mad. You know, I just think that makes more sense. You know, it's... Uh, just my opinion on the subject. What do you I'm think? I'm shocked that for once you don't believe in the conspiracy theory and you're, you're uh, resigning to sounder logic. <laughs> to be honest, I agree with you and I don't agree with you. So I'll start with what I agree with. I, it's tough for me to say. So this really gets me the wrong way. Um, I do believe to some extent that Bernie Sanders camp, me being one of them, not directly in his camp, just as a supporter. I think there was a lot of sour grapes around there, Jared. I mean, you and I talked a ton during the election. And I think one of the things I mean, I found a picture of an Idaho rally um, that looked absolutely jam packed. And when I showed it to you, it had a side by side of uh, just slightly zoomed out view, there couldn't have been more than 30 people at this rally. But that's the story that CNN decided to run with. That's the story that got plugged on massive turnout for Hillary Clinton. And there was just this really strange and rude vitriol towards Bernie Sanders throughout that whole thing. I think the Democratic National Convention did a good enough job sabotaging itself and sabotaging Bernie Sanders without Russia's intervention. I'll I'll give you that. I I think the DNC 
the corruption that went on there, I, I absolutely believe that that a good chunk of it was self-inflicted. And I think with or without Russia's aid, I think they, they did damage upon themselves. However, to, to think that there's nothing to it, I guess just my question is the cover up is worse than the crime in most scenarios. Why would Trump be going to such great lengths to fire Comey, to put Jeff Sessions on blast, to really get rid of any sort of staffer or anything or anybody with ties to it? Do I think it had that great of an impact on the overall outcome of the election? No. But to me, there's something there just based on Trump's extreme overshift to trying to cover up whatever went on there. Um, I mean, maybe. I, I agree uh, to an extent. I think that he has really overcompensated. But I think at the same point, maybe that's just how he handles thing in the, things in the business world. You know, as a CEO of a company, when there's a when there's an issue, you just, you know, beat it to death. Um, deny, deny, deny. And it's not something that would be so public for him in previous situations where he's been through it. So he didn't realize it was going to go as badly as it did. I'm not sure. I hate to to try and defend him. But uh, it just seems, it, it does seem weird to me. I'll All admit right. that to I, you. It's, let's just play this string out with me for a second, right? Let's just say that there was some involvement, right? Let's just say there was irrefutable proof. You wouldn't deny it. Nobody would deny it. Although 10 or 15 or 20% of the country would still deny it. Regardless, let's just say we had irrefutable proof and Russia was involved. To what extent would you be concerned? I mean, what type of information? So keep in mind, Russia would never get involved in something like this without something in return. On that much, I'm sure that we agree Russia's looking out for Russia. If they were involved, to what extent would you you allow that sort of thing or would you be okay with it? Well, I mean, I think historically, you know, Russia always picks a favorite in U.S. elections. I mean, any any election, the RT is going to be covering one candidate more fondly than the other. And certainly, I would I would say that in this election, that was true. And Trump was covered more fondly than Hillary Clinton. Uh, but, you know, you're always going to find that. And, and RT is the propaganda wing of the Russian government. I mean, state-run media station. So I think that's important to realize. So, I mean, to me, it depends on what it looks like. I mean, if Russia hacked the emails and released them, I mean, I'd be mad. I, I don't think that that's appropriate. But... You know, I'm not saying that, um, you know, Trump should be impeached over it, especially if he had nothing to do with it. It's just unfortunate that they thought that they could hijack the election that way. I don't know if they really succeeded. I don't think anybody was all that worried about it, you know, the day before the election. The hack is the tip Um, of the iceberg to me. Like, that's, that's very, very little part of it. Of course, that's what does damage. To me, the larger thing is lying underneath the surface. If that did happen... They got something in return. What were they given in return? That's the, that's the point of greater concern. And I don't know that. I don't profess to know that. And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm right or correct in any way. To me, my concern isn't necessarily with them trying to tamper with the election. Of course, they would do that. But, but what did they gain from it? If they were involved, if Trump was directly involved, surely he gave them something. I mean, you know, if the scenario came out and it looked more like, you know, Putin coming to Trump or, you know, his people coming to their people and uh, being like, hey, we have some really damaging information on Hillary Clinton. We'll release it if you promise to ease back sanctions and to, I don't know, back off NATO a little bit. Then, yeah, absolutely. He should be impeached for that. If that was an agreement, uh, I would just be be really surprised if that was the case. Uh, And I would be even more surprised if it came out. but I would be I would be really absolutely flabbergasted if 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 that was what happened. Um, it just doesn't seem super likely to me. Like I said, to me, it seems much more likely 
that somebody at the DNC saw these emails, they were mad, they called up WikiLeaks and they dropped it because, you know, they're, they're mad about it. You know, their, their character's getting, uh, getting messed up. And of course, there's going to be people in the DNC who back Sanders that had access to those emails. I mean, it doesn't seem unlikely to me that it would be the more well, I mean, there was a answer. volume of emails. You'd have to have pretty high level access. But all the same, uh, if I had hacking knowledge, which I'm sure there's likely somebody in the DNC that was some sort of computer whiz or knew somebody who was, you know, if I'm put in the same position, I was pretty, pretty pissed with how things were going. Uh, I probably would have leaked the hell out of the information if I had that as well. And I'm in the DNC camp. I, I, I would have done it all day long. So I do tend to side with you on that. I don't like conspiracy theories. I don't like grand conspiracies. I really have to see more proof to it. What's troubling to me is just the cover up. That's, that's what looks weirder to me than, than anything else. And I'd just be really interested. I think an investigation needs to happen just so that you get the facts out. And I'd be really interested in just reading the transcripts of the facts, not watching CNN, not watching Fox, not reading Washington Post or the Huff Post, um, but literally just reading the transcripts of the information. Uh, I, I think there's a lot less of a fire there than, than, than some people believe there is. But I, I still think you have to investigate. You don't just be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm sure everything's good. Yeah, and I agree. But I do think that, um, you know, I think they got it under control. I mean, I think um, Mueller is, 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 you know, just a professional respected by both sides of the aisle. I don't think he's any better off with him than he would have been with Comey. Uh, I think firing Comey was a, was a horrible mistake. And it, you know, really just bit him. And he ended up looking very foolish over it. You know, I view Comey as as a real straight shooter. You know, I don't think there's anybody in Washington that you'll see as more of a straight shooter. I don't think you can accumulate that much hate from both sides of the aisle without doing something right. I want to say that I'm joking, but I'm not sure that I am. So I don't know. I didn't love James (laughs) Comey, but I'm I'm pretty sure that virtually nobody else did either. So that probably is a sign that that he's burnt both camps pretty equally over his tenure. Um, So I'd agree with that. But yeah, you know... My big thing with Russia, uh, like I said, I would like for us to have a better relationship with Russia. You know, I think that's a tremendous gain that the Trump administration could really have scored for us. And maybe they still can. But I do think that the Russia investigation is really hamstringing his ability to, to make any improvements. Because if he was to make any improvements, the media would absolutely hammer him for it. Uh, so, you know, I would really like to, to put liberals on blast and say that, you know, they're so upset about losing the 2016 election that they are willing to resurrect the Cold War and McCarthyism. And it's just like a desperate attempt to not look in the mirror. And I would really like to, like, dig into them. And, and I consider doing it. But, you know, I want to be honest. And I do believe that they are a little bit in the right. Maybe uh, I don't know how to say it exactly. I mean, Trump is really not doing himself any favors by covering up the investigation the way he is. And I and I can't help but think that, you know, any criticism that I could levy towards the left for their reaction to this investigation uh, or this particular scandal. I mean, if it was if it, the situation was flipped, you know, of course, conservatives would be on the same, you know, exact exactly acting the same way as liberals, you know. So I don't know. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's a complicated issue for sure it's it's just unfortunate because i do think that there there may be a squandered opportunity in there to kind of normalize things uh with russia the only other you know big nuclear power on the planet that could uh you know so you had a couple good points in there that i uh that, like. that, that i really liked um i'll start with the you know if the script was flipped absolutely just like hillary they'd be saying throw her in jail prosecutor i'd be calling obama obama and same thing if it was bush that did it the liberals would be beating the drum just as hard and saying all kinds of nasty things and darth cheney was involved and all that fun stuff 
So yes, I agree with that principle. And I do want to preface what I say about Russia here with, I went to Job Corps way back in the day and I had a, a really interesting roommate. He was from Russia, grew up in Moscow, spoke very little English except when a beautiful woman would walk by for whatever reason. He knew how to speak in perfect English to hit on her, but that was about all he could say other than the curse words that we mutually taught each other. But we really tried to, to bridge that communication barrier and we spent a lot of time talking and BSing around. I grew a real or developed a real respect for Russian culture. I also worked at a truck stop for five years. I saw a lot of Russian drivers come in and out of that place. And I was really just fascinated by, they have a real lack of fear of American politics, policy. It was just a really different perspective that they, they have on it. So I really enjoyed that. And I, I do agree with the principle of, I think we need a better relationship with Russia. I don't think we need that Cold War era, any of that. A absolutely not. They're the worst enemy to have in the country. They, they have more nukes than we do. Granted, we have enough to cover the world several times over, but they're the next biggest power. So I definitely want good relations with them. I do think there is this thing going on with the hardline conservatives where it's just an absolute infatuation with Russia right now. And I, I, I don't really understand it. You know, there was talk that Obama was somehow seeking a third term. How many terms has Vladimir Putin had? I know he stepped down and became prime minister, but then he came back in for another six years and looks like he'll get another six years next year as well. This man has been in power since since 2000. They, they don't have a First Amendment like we have. He's blasted journalists. He's blasted reporters. They have really, really um, archaic laws against gay marriage and just the way they treat people there. It's its just a very, very different culture and a very different world. And I'm just not sure propping them up as high as we've, we've propped them up is necessarily, I mean, they're not something we want to model ourselves after. Forge a good relationship with, sure, but I, I don't think we should be modeling ourselves off after Russian policy, not by any stretch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree that there is a strange infatuation with Vladimir Putin on the far right, and I don't really understand where it comes from. Uh, I mean, this is a man that said that the Soviet Union falling was, you know, I don't know the exact quote, but it was, it was bad. <laughs> he didn't like it. And, you know, if you, if you look up, if you are a conservative, look up the USSR and red communism. I mean, it's the opposite of you. He said that the anti-U government falling was one of the greatest tragedies of all time. I mean, this is not a man that any American, especially a conservative, though, should put on any kind of pedestal. It, it's definitely strange to me. I don't understand where it comes from. But I'm not going to deny that it's out there. I mean, people really seem to like Vladimir taking his shirt off and going spear fishing and stuff. <laughs> kind of odd. On horseback riding, he's always with his shirt off, though. Like, those are photo ops, too. That's the important thing, I think, to point out. You know, that's it's not just like, oh, he's going out to do that on his free time because he's so manly. It's like this is he's bringing along like photo crews to take pictures of him riding around on horses and spear fishing with his Very old off. school propaganda. Just, yeah, like Theodore Roosevelt in there. I wish I had a friend who did that just so I could tell people about him, you know, like a buddy. <laughs> <laughs> just taking lots of pictures, you know, spear fishing with his shirt off. I'm super manly. Goodness. <laughs> It is a little silly. I don't know. That's yeah, just me. So, Mike, I mean, I think that we're never really going to totally agree on this Russia investigation. But I do think that we, we both can agree, at least, that we would like better relationships with Russia. We would like a better relation with that nation. 
neither of us want any kind of nuclear war. I, I just hope people bear that in mind uh, while we're having this conversation. You know, what the worst case scenario looks like. And, you know, honestly, what is the best case scenario from the Russian investigation look like to you? I mean, President Pence, is that what you want? I hope everyone out there just takes a second and does, you know, a pro versus con analysis and just kind of makes up their mind about it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've said that to liberals over and over again. Okay, cool. You get you get Trump out of office, then what? Mike Pence represents way, way worse of an alternative to the things that, that liberals value and, and hold in high esteem. And uh, I think he has more wherewithal to accomplish his goals than uh, Trump does. I'd rather have the orange buffoon in office than Mike Pence, to speak candidly about it. He scares the hell out of me with North Korea and with foreign conflicts, though I guess that'd be the one pro to, to um, Pence is, is I, I, I don't think... I mean, I'm sure he'd take an opportunity like Syria or like Iraq or like Afghanistan, but I don't think he'd make a a North Korea situation as hostile and tense as we've seen from Trump now. But yeah, long story short, I'd much rather mend our relationship with Russia and form a stronger ally than we've had in the past. I think that could only bode well with us for the future. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Well, since you brought up North Korea, we weren't going to do it today. Uh, we were going to save it for another episode. But let's go ahead and hit North Korea just because, God, it is it is going – it is getting out of control. I think Trump recently said the fiery retribution and more power than the world's ever seen is, is what uh, Kim Jong-un has to look forward to. And Kim Jong-un is threatening nuclear strikes on Guam. China. China what do you think of the situation? China has stepped into <laughs> – said their piece on it. If we launch a preemptive strike, we are essentially their enemy. If North Korea strikes first, they'll stand down. It, it's it's kind of a crazy situation. I, I I don't know. It's a sore spot to me. I got a good buddy of mine uh, in the Air Force, Jared. He's, he's stationed right in South Korea. So it, it definitely, um, he has about uh, two or three months left of his, his bit, as, as far as I can remember. Not much longer, but, you know, a conflict like that would certainly keep him. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a personal element to it. For me, that that, that kind of worries me. I, it, it's baffling to me the words that are chosen. And, and Twitter as the platform, I guess, is, is the craziest thing of it. We've, we've talked about North Korea a few times and how tricky of a situation it is, Jared. I mean, just how do we proceed from here? When you draw a line like that, you... You know, as a military person, now we have no choice but to, to step over it if, if, if they step. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, well... If they stepped, we never really had a choice, though. I mean, it was always going to have to be war if they stepped. It's just, it's it's weird. You know, I wonder if Trump's strategy right now might be, you know, just just be, just talk a real big game and hope that Kim Jong-un decides to, to hold off for eight years till he gets the next president before he starts negotiating. Because really, unfortunately, uh, he's, he's kind of won, hasn't he, Kim Jong-un? I mean, um... You know, even even if his nukes can't hit yeah. New York City, they can hit Seoul, they can hit Tokyo, uh, they can hit Guam. You know, what are we gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna launch a preemptive strike, and I just I just can't see it. Even under Trump, I can't see it. I think maybe he he just wants to put the whole thing off and and let that be somebody else's legacy. Is the vibe that I get? What do you think? <laughs> to play that game where you think that uh, Kim Jong will somehow just be patient for the next eight years and bide his time till he gets somebody else because he's scared of Trump's tough talk. I, I I have a hard time believing doing a temperature check on, on the history of that nation, his father and the way that he ruled. What was it? I mean, it, it's Kim Jong 
Oon that fed his uncle to the dogs. I mean, I mean, this is not a man that I think will patiently bide his time and is necessarily scared off by Trump's talk. I mean, I, I, I think they they think their back's against the wall, and I think that's the most dangerous version of North Korea that there is. Yeah, and they did just get pretty harsh sanctions put on them. I think it was 50-something nations came together and put sanctions on them. That included China and Russia. So the international community is starting to unite against them. But at the same point, I mean, he's not hes not an idiot, Kim Jong-un. He knows that he's won. You know, as long as his country isn't going to, as long as he's not in any, situ- any, any danger of collapse, I don't think that he's going to do a preemptive strike because he knows that if he does that, He's signing his own death Well, yeah, if he launches preemptively, that's absolutely his, you know, not having China support, that's absolutely signing his own death warrant. Now, could he harm an ally, Guam, South Korea, Japan? Absolutely. And that's scary in and of itself. I don't know what price you put on human life, but that's, that's a dangerous game to have to play. You know, how many hundreds, thousands would be affected by a strike like that? They'd still have a pretty strong military, Jared. It's not like they... You know, I mean, that's essentially all that they do. They don't invest in anything else other than military might. They certainly aren't feeding their people. They're not educating their people. They're not doing anything like that. So uh, their military is still scary. Um, South Korea is pretty prepared, I'm sure. But again, launching something like that, again, it's what price do you put on human life? The thing I'm more afraid of is Trump getting trigger happy. Trump seeing another slight. Trump seeing another you know, more comments out of North Korea and just saying, you know what, screw it, we're going to launch, screw China. That's what I'm more concerned about. You know, if North Korea does what it does, I mean, that's still a terrible thing. Absolutely. But without China as an ally, that they'll be rolled over. Going against China, man, I I just don't think that's a game that we want to play. And you don't know where Russia would fall in that. You don't know how other countries would fall. I mean, that, that, that essentially starts World War III if we strike first. I mean, it could. You're right. You're absolutely right. It could. And, and that's something I definitely take seriously. You know, I, I just recently got out of the inactive reserve in October of the Marine Corps, and that meant that I could have been recalled. So I was watching it real close. I mean, it's not a, a, a country that I would want to invade just because in Cuba, they had a thing called the tactical nuclear weapon. And what that is, is it's a, a small nuke, uh, smaller than Hiroshima or Nagasaki. And it's used, they had them pointed at places where they thought, you know, the Bay of Pigs, where, where America could invade. And these were small-scale nuclear weapons just for invading forces. They're just going to kill all the soldiers, all the, you know, and, and honest to God, that that's terrifying. You know, could you imagine being on a beach, you know, running up, trying to take over an objective, and, and they nuke you? And I think that's absolutely something that North Korea would do. I mean, if, if they had it in Cuba... They probably have it in North Korea. So, I mean, it's scary to think about, you know, and I and I know there's people that I care about that are would definitely be part of that 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 frontal force. And it's just awful to think that, you know, that that's probably what would happen. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's it's almost untenable. So, again, it, small scale warfare with North Korea. Not good. Full out where if we launch a preemptive strike, I mean, that's that, that, that's essentially signing the world's death warrant. You know, maybe maybe not that dramatic. Um, but essentially, it would launch into something that looks like a World War Three if we were to strike first. But the the cost of of, of lives is again those those tactical nuclear weapons, the, the smaller devices. You know, I, that's 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 not something I'm willing to do. You know, I have too many friends who are still enlisted. Like I said, I have I have a friend who's directly listed in South Korea. Uh, it's just not something that I'd like to see. So I just wish there was a better dialogue. And maybe I, I'll give you this, Jared. Maybe this is. Not maybe. I mean, this has been bubbling with North Korea for how many years? 
Oh, since the end of World War II. Decades and decades and decades we've been building to this moment. But promising fire and fury, probably not the most strategic way to go about that. Yeah. Uh, Certainly scared the crap out of me. But like I said, I I really, I don't think it's going to come to anything, if I'm being honest with you. The only thing that really gives me any pause is how Trump blew up that airport in Syria. But he's got enough generals around him that I think that, you know, they're not going to want, because it, it's terrible. You're right. It is The, the optics are terrible. Uh, the way that history will look at it will be terrible. I mean, if we go in and we do a preemptive strike, I mean, everybody knows what that means. You know, I don't think, I don't think Kim Jong-un is going to nuke anybody unless he's on his way out, unless his government's collapsing, unless he's needing to leave the country, unless uh, he thinks that, you know, he's going to get the Saddam treatment. And then I think he would. So that's kind of the situation. But I, I don't think, you know, like I said, you, you I don't think Trump would do that. I, I would be very surprised. But I was very surprised that he blew up that Syrian airport, too. So I don't know. Well, let's uh, cross our fingers on that, Jared. I just wanted to cover it. I, I know we wanted to wrap there, but uh, I just thought it was important. It's just something that's been developing more and more over the past week. Basically, I just want to thank you guys if you've made it this far out into the podcast here. Uh, Son knew that we decided we'd try out here. I think it went pretty well. Uh, if you don't, then uh, I don't know what to tell you because <laughs> we'll probably keep doing it. If you have any feedback for us, if you think there's something we missed, something that we got wrong, or you just want to tell us everything we got was spot on and right and correct and that we're super awesome, you can do that as well. You can reach us on facebook.com slash unaffiliatedpolitics. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever social media uh, device that you prefer. Just reach out, engage in the user feedback. That's kind of the purpose of this and why we do it. Thank you all for listening to this point. I hope you all have a great evening. Have a good night.